Psalm 122. If you've looked at that, then uh, you uh, maybe noticed, at least in an anecdotal way and, and in some ways a, a real way, it's an appropriate time for us to be at this, uh, at this psalm. It was, it was good to come to the house of the Lord tonight. Uh, for some of you, it was just good to get out of your house tonight. And so um, as, we, as we look at uh, this psalm tonight and as I was preparing um, uh, the message, uh, I thought it, it comes at an appropriate time um, for us, not just for being stir-crazy, but just to emphasize the, uh, uh, just how good it is uh, to be in God's house. So let's read... Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, under the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem that shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. So we come to this uh, uh, third Psalm in this group, the psalm of or songs of ascent, songs of steps, or what we've been just kind of summarizing as these pilgrim songs. Uh, we've mentioned already, but I'll mention it again. Psalm one twenty, one twenty one, and one twenty two seem to go together. Um, we begin the the journey in Psalm one twenty in distress, in uh, a place of um, longing, in a place of war. Then we go to um, 121 where our eyes are lifted up to um, focus, in our, uh, focus in on the Lord through the eye of faith. And then we get to 122. And um, this is really the arrival, the anticipation of the arrival, the end of the journey. I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so it, this little psalm, it's nine verses, but it is a, um, it is a rich psalm. We are just going to barely scratch the surface of it tonight. Uh, but I hope that what is laid out, maybe will whet your appetite and you'll spend a little, little time there through the rest of this week. We're going to continue as far as trying to break up the psalm and, and organize it. We're going to continue with this pilgrim's theme. Um, and so the first section is the, the first couple of verses, one and two. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. So the first section is really a description of the pilgrim's joy. Okay, he's, he's, he's on a journey, and it's a journey through difficult, difficult circumstances. It's a journey in verse 1 of Psalm 120 that's full of distress. It's a journey, verse 1 of verse, uh, of uh, Psalm 121, where there is help needed. I'm sorry, that's out of verse 2. And yet it's a, it's a journey that ends in joy. He says, I was glad. I was made to rejoice. 
when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. So one thing that I want to point out as we think about the pilgrim's joy and we try to unpack this in a thematic way is that the pilgrim's joy in Psalm 122 is tied to a location. Okay, I was glad. Why? What made me glad? When they said, let's go into the house of the Lord. Our feet, he says, shall stand. He's not there yet, but he's anticipating this. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. So the pilgrim's joy is tied to a location. We could go a little bit further and say the pilgrim's joy is tied to a location where God and his people dwell. Okay, Jerusalem was a place where, um, uh, well, it was God's city. It was the city of Zion. It was the city where God's presence dwelt in a very special way. First, it was the tabernacle, then it was the temple. And God was worshipped there, and it was the place where God was would receive worship that was acceptable to Him. And, and it was also the place where in the Holy of Holies, God's presence dwelt in a special way, uh, in a way that it didn't dwell anywhere else. And so if you were a Jew, if you were a pilgrim, if you were making one of these journeys, which was something that a Jew would do three times a year up to a feast, one of the three feasts we'll look at in a minute, uh, then the location of Jerusalem was a, a place of joy. It was a place that you, well, it was where you longed to be. I mean, you think about this in comparison to what the psalmist says in um, Psalm 120, verse 5 Woe is me that I sojourn in Messick, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. What is the woe attached to? Well, it's attached to a location. And, and, and really, he could have said any other location. Really, that, that could have been, woe is me because I do not dwell in Jerusalem. I am not where God is as far as his special presence goes. And so it's a joyous occasion for him to travel and for him to anticipate his, his arrival. This is something that you see again, 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 and again in the Psalms. I'll give you two. Examples of that. Look in Psalm 42. Psalm 42. The longing is, again, it's for, it's for God's presence, but it's also to be with God's uh, people in God's place. Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude." 
I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept the holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Now, I'm stopping there. There's more to that verse, but why is it that the psalmist is downcast? Why is it that his soul is disquieted? Why is it that he is troubled? Well, directly up from verse 5, verse 4 describes the psalm, the psalmist here, David, remembers a time whenever he was um, with the multitude. He had gone with them to the house of God to observe the holy day. What's, what's the, the purpose for him being downcast, his lack of joy? Well, he's remembering a time when he could go to the house of God and be with God's people, and at this point, he cannot. It's not there. It's troubled his soul. He's hoping in God, and he's hoping in God's presence, the help of God's presence. But this is just an example. He's thirsting um, as the deer pants for water. And what does that mean? What does that equate to as far as God's presence? Well, it equates to him going to Jerusalem, going to the house of God, being with the people of God. Also in Psalm 84, we see the same thing. In Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Then we jump down to verse 10. For, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So, Psalm 122 is really the sentiment of Psalm 122 verses 1 and 2 is really found throughout the Psalms. I want to be where God is. I was glad when they said to me, let's go and assemble where where God is, where God's people are. And and, um, you've probably thought about this already, but this little psalm, I mean, it's a rich little psalm. And as you read through it and as you think about, particularly as you think about the principles, you can see that they're biblically uh, can be applied in three different locations throughout the scope of redemptive history. So the first one is what we're just talking about, Jerusalem, okay, the city of God, Zion, the physical city there. I was glad when they said, Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to God's house there. The second one out of Hebrews chapter 12, I'm not going to turn here, but as always, if you want the notes, I'll send them to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24 is the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the church of the firstborn. Okay? It's, the, it's the church of God. It's God's people here on earth who assemble together. And then in Revelation 21, verse 2, the third point of application would be the new Jerusalem, right? Whenever Christ come back, comes back a second time and, and the new heavens and the new earth come down as the new Jerusalem. 
So in Psalm 122, the psalmist here, David, he said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. What is it that brings this pilgrim so much joy? Well, it's that he's almost home. He's been on a long journey and he's almost home. For him, that was Jerusalem. That was a foreshadow of what we're doing now. For us, the closest thing that we have to being home in a spiritual sense as redeemed, blood-bought children of God is right here. As we assemble together with the saints, to worship, to meet with God in a special way. And then brothers and sisters, ultimately, as we think about Psalm 122 from our side of the cross and what our heavenly Jerusalem really is a foreshadowing of, we're not really going to be home until we're home, right? Revelation 21. The pilgrim's joy that gets him through the journey is this reality that I'm almost home. I'm almost there. There are small glimpses that we get to enjoy that push us along, that stir our hearts, but brothers and sisters, we live in Psalm 20. We live in a world full of distresses where we cry out to the Lord. We live in a world where we are in constant need of help, Psalm 122. We live in a world where we're surrounded by evil and the world system is at war with really the heavenly Jerusalem that we're a part of. And so at best, it's, well, it's war, it's chaotic, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. And the psalmist says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand there. We're not there yet, but we will be. We're almost there. We're almost home. There's a, there's a wonderful modern hymn. It's called Almost Home. You may have heard that before. It's uh, sung by a guy named Matt Papa. There are some people that are putting out some some good modern hymns. I don't want to swap out the ones we have for for a lot of the junk that's out there, but um, I think this is a good one. I'm going to read some of the words. He says, Don't drop a single anchor, we're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have before us gone? No stopping now. We're almost home. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes the only thing that will keep you moving is the fact that you're almost home. There are some circumstances that aren't getting any better. There are some disappointments that aren't going to be flipped. There are some weights that aren't going to be lifted. But you're almost home. So keep going. Keep going. He says the promised land is calling. We're almost home. 
and not a tear shall fall then. We're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back. We're almost home. And so David says, I was glad when they said, let's go. Let's go to the house of the Lord. We're almost there. That's the pilgrim's joy. That's the joy that awaits every blood-bought child of God. And again, we get a foretaste of that as we assemble here. And while we could unpack a whole lot more in seed form, isn't that a beautiful picture? Pilgrim's joy. Secondly, in verses 3 through 5, we see the pilgrim's praise. The pilgrim's praise. And just like the pilgrim's joy, the pilgrim's praise is attached to a city, a location. Verse 3, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord under the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Now, if, if, if we just read that, in a lot of ways you could read through there and it just seems like three random verses. What are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with the fact that the city is compact? What are you supposed to do with the fact that the tribes go up there and, and they give testimony and there's thrones set for judgment? What does that mean? Well, this is not the, the, the pilgrim here. This is not David just giving three random facts about Jerusalem. This is David praising Jerusalem for some realities that are found there that make it a precious place, really, that make it a place that brings joy and anticipation for those who are traveling toward it. And so the first one is, it is a um, unified City. It's a unified city. The little phrase there in verse 3, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. The, the words there, compact together, it means it is joined together. It is, it is one part that is bound closely to another part. And this was true of the physical city of Jerusalem as it related to the, the, the walls that were connected that would surround the city. Also, the the buildings were pretty tight and joined, and this was common for a capital city like that. But this physical observation was also true, and this is where he goes with it when he gets to verse 4. It was also true of the inhabitants there. I don't think we sometimes really understand what it meant for Israel to come together and meet in Jerusalem. We have these different tribes coming all into this one place. Okay, that, that, that just means people that aren't coming from the same household, as it were. Um, different preferences, different when we're thinking micromanagement-wise, different customs maybe of sorts, they're all coming into Jerusalem and they're all coming into Jerusalem for one reason and for one reason only, and that's because 
In Deuteronomy chapter 16, we will turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 16, because we want to make a couple of points out of that. In Deuteronomy 16, verse 16, it says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Now, here's... Let me me get verse 17 as well, I'm sorry. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God which he hath given him. So the command is every man shows up, shows up three times a year during these feasts. He does not show up empty-handed. He shows up prepared to give according to the blessing that the Lord had given to him. Well, you have all these different people coming into Jerusalem from these different places and they're all going to do one thing, to show up and to give an offering to the Lord. They're they're united under this desire to praise and worship God by offering up acceptable sacrifices or acceptable offerings to Him. You have a city that's full, that's compact, and yet unified. What a rare thing. We talk a lot about, uh, or at least you've heard a lot over the years, about the, the, the unity of the church and just how precious the unity of the church is and what is that unity built on and so forth and so on. And, and it is precious, isn't it, whenever we are able to walk in unity with each other? That's really what he's celebrating here about what happens whenever all the hustle and bustle and busyness of what it means for everybody to come into Jerusalem for these feasts and it's, it's amazing. They're all coming for the same reason. They're all coming to do the same thing. And it's because they all come to this place that really is the location or the object of their joy because this is where God is. And they're coming to worship this God who they love and where their joy is found. Now, I want you to contrast that this picture of a, of a busy, hustling and bustling city where everyone is there for a unified purpose. I want you to contrast that with Psalm 120, uh, verses 5 through 7. Woe is me that I sojourn in Mesek, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul has long dwelt with him that hateth Peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The psalmist says, I'm coming out of a place that is just splintered to pieces. There's no unity there. I would love to have peace, but peace can't be had. 
Well, you realize that's the world we're living in, right? That's the world we're living in. Um, a, a world where unity is impossible unless you're willing to get behind me. Unless you're willing to bow your preferences and everything else to mine. But Jerusalem is not a place like that. Jerusalem is a place where men and women willfully bow their preference not to one or the other for, for, for one or the other's sake, but they bow their preference to the Lord. They come to, to exalt Him. And so while the pilgrim's joy is in this reality that he's almost home, the pilgrim's praise is that as he enters into Jerusalem, he may, you know, this, this may not have been a, a reality for most people. They, they probably would have traveled in packs, but, but it is possible. The pilgrim enters into Jerusalem and he may look around and not have a single member of his tribe relative in his sight. And yet he looks around and says, these are my people. These people love the same thing I love. These people love the same person that I love. These people worship the same God that I worship. And it is a precious thing in a world that's full of pride and hate and division and destruction to be able to be placed into a what we're going to call, we're going to move on into the heavenly Jerusalem, a spiritual family where we are unified under the banner of Jesus Christ. He says, this is why they come. Well, why are you here? I mean, the truth is you could find somebody that could make a better talk than me. If you were just coming to be entertained by somebody who gave a 30 or, you know, some of you are rolling your eyes at 30 minutes, you could find somebody that could give a shorter talk than me. But that's not why you're here. I mean, earthly speaking, you could find better companions than the people gathered together in this room. By that, I just mean as far as prestige goes and all that sort of thing. But that's not why you're here. Earthly speaking, you could find a group that would give you your way a whole lot more than you'll get it in this group. But that's not why you're here. You're here to worship the Lord. You're here to come and sing praise to Him. You're also here to come and receive a word from Him. You're also here to come and to fellowship with His people and enjoy the blessings of unity that are really um, a foretaste of heaven. So the pilgrim's praise is it's found here. It's a unified city. Secondly, he says in verse 5, for there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. It could also be translated there are set thrones of justice. Judgment, justice, those are often used interchangeably. Um, it's a city of justice. It's a city of righteousness. We could say it that way. I wonder if, if in that section, this section of Psalm 122, that David was thinking about Deuteronomy 16, because if you, 
If you go back and read the next couple of verses, after he says, every man will give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord which he hath given him, in verse 18 he says, Judges and officers shall thou make thee in all thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not rest judgment, you shall not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift does blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. And he goes on there and emphasizes when you come in to the city for these feasts, you need to set up judges to execute justice, those who will judge rightly. Well, contrast that with Psalm 120 verse 2. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. That's the world we live in. Right? Justice doesn't characterize the world that we're living in right now. Um, respecters of persons, greed. Uh, you just go on and on and on and on. Well, the psalmist says, my joy is found in God's city where God's people are unified and God's righteousness is exalted and observed. It really is, can be, a breath of fresh air from the world when you assemble with God's people. It should be anyway. It should be. We should not be characterized as a worldly people. Um, it's a city that's justice or built on righteousness. So that's the pilgrim's praise. The joy is Jerusalem where God's special presence is. His praise is uh, the unity of the city and the justice that's there. And then number three, and this will be our last one, we find the pilgrim's prayer. The pilgrim's prayer, that's verses 6-9. through nine. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek Thy good. Now I just want to notice a few things about this prayer. Number one, notice that this prayer is not a prayer for personal peace and prosperity. He's not praying for himself. He's praying for Jerusalem. Okay, This is a corporate prayer. This is a prayer that not just that I would have peace and prosperity, but that corporate peace and prosperity might remain in Jerusalem. Uh, that's a pretty selfless prayer. If you don't understand why that is, you've never tried to keep the peace. You've never taken seriously what Scripture says about prioritizing unity. Okay, what, is it, what is peace and prosperity? Well, at face value, you know what they are, but just to give you a little bit of detail. The word peace, it just means safety, welfare, uh, rest or wholeness. 
prayer is that corporately that would remain in Jerusalem. The word prosperity means security, abundance, quietness. Okay, so they're, they're fairly close as far as the words go. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. That's the prayer. Secondly, I want you to notice the motive. Notice the motive. Verses 8 and 9. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say peace within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. What is it that motivates the psalmist here? Well, it's his brothers and sisters and companions. He wants to preserve unity for their sake. It's not, I mean, he obviously is going to enjoy the blessing. You think about how that works in a church. It's very close to Philippians 2 and what it means to esteem others better than yourself. The only real path to unity is humility. And humility is not primarily thinking about you. So, also, you could tie this into what is the great commandment? Love God. It's because of the house of the Lord that I will seek thy good. And what else? Love your neighbor. It's for my brethren and my companions. Sake that I, that, that I will say peace be within thee. So he's seeking something because of his brethren's sake and because of the Lord's sake. And, and what he's seeking is uh, peace within Jerusalem. Well, Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 lets us know that the only way this kind of unity can be obtained and maintained is by making every effort to crucify your flesh and to grow in Christ's likeness. I mean, if we're talking about the heavenly Jerusalem here on earth and the church, even the Jerusalem there. So as, as David prays this prayer, as we think about how this prayer would apply to us in Jerusalem, it's a place where joy can be found. It's a place where unity and justice should be the markers. But it's a place where if we don't make every effort and give all diligence to maintain this unity, we'll lose it. So it's a, it's a battle. It's a battle primarily with your own heart. That's what Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 teaches us. But then Revelation 21, 5 through 7, tells us that one day we will experience that unity and it will not be an uphill battle. We will experience that unity and it will not be a struggle. By the way, Having that unity along with the struggle is not bad. I mean, that's enjoyable. It's a blessing. But Revelation 21, verse 5, 
says that he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It's done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You see, brothers and sisters, one of these days we will enjoy the blessings of the new Jerusalem, and it will be effortless. Isn't that something? It'll be done. The Lord's going to bring this thing to a close. He's going to make all things new. He's going to bring you to a place to where He will be your God and you will be His children. And there will be no conflict with that. And so we go back really with how we ended the first section. And that is, brothers and sisters, we're almost home. We're almost home. There's going to be parts of the journey where we don't experience the blessing of this unity at the intensity that we want to. There's going to be parts of the journey where really the uh, uh, the forces of evil, really satanic assaults on the church will... Um, distort the picture that's painted in Psalm 122 of what this heavenly Jerusalem ought to look like. Stay in the fight. You're almost home. There's going to be times where you just get tired of the journey when your struggles that don't seem to be getting any better and in some ways seem to be getting heavier press on you to where you just want to throw in the towel. You're almost home. Keep going. There's no turning back. Keep going. Because you're headed to that new Jerusalem where righteousness dwells and you will dwell in perfect communion with your Father where your joy will be complete and it will be impossible for it to waver. And so, brothers and sisters, we were glad when they said to us, let's go home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the hope that You've given us, um, not just here, uh, but in the, the, the completion of redemption when we will enter into the new Jerusalem when we will see You face to face, when we will dwell in perfect unity, when all tears shall be wiped away and all sorrow shall cease, when all struggles will be a distant memory and we will dwell with You perfectly content and perfectly um, happy, full of joy. Father, we long for that day. We look forward to it. And we rejoice in anticipating it and even in having a foretaste of that here. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.